Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to this week's episode of Best Camp of My Life, a podcast about MMA. Kind of, but not really, but kind of. I'm your host, Fernanda Prates, and that's, sorry, that's all I got for you today. We're just going to have to settle for that intro because I save my long, elaborate intros for my guests. And today's guest is not actually a guest. He's what we would say back in Brazil. He's... De casa. He's from home. He's he's no longer a visitor. He's one of ours. So um, I am welcoming my co-host for the day, uh, my co-host for my life now that we made it official that he put a ring on it, and my and a fellow MMA person. I'm just gonna say that because right now your his relationship with MMA is is different than it's been in the past. But yes, fellow MMA person, uh, my husband, Rodrigo, 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 however you want to call him. Rodrigo. Rodrigo. You're nasty. Yeah. Boo-boo. He's my guest today. Hi, Boo-boo. wonder if I would get accepted into the MMA JA now. Why? I don't know if I did the requirements. Well, you, you're covering MMA, but... Yeah, now for three weeks I'm gonna do nothing of the sort. So yeah, because of the uh, I don't know this little thing that I don't know if you're aware of called the Olympics, the Olympic Games. He's covering them, so I decided to have him grace us with his beautiful presence before he uh, abandons MMA and me. I mean, I'm not. Here's the thing: I'm not going. I'm not covering. I'm doing play by play. But you're doing it like in the t the Tokyo time. Yeah, I'm gonna do it live. Yeah, so like for the, I start Friday night, and then you're not gonna see me. Basically, you're not gonna see me for uh, two weeks and change. Yeah, like 17 days or something. So I start on Friday and I finish two Sundays later. That's going to be very interesting for all of us. By the way, uh, apologies for two things. First of all, if you heard a banging sound. There's construction happening around here. And of course, the banging started the second we pressed record. Everybody who has a podcast know, knows that them's the rules. You start recording. See, there they go again. So I'm sorry if he, if it's loud to you. Hopefully it's not. Uh, but such is life. I, can, I can't control uh, the city's work just yet. Hopefully soon, when I'm powerful enough. Uh, and also, I'm so loopy today, and we'll get into that, because also the reason why Rodrigo is here, because we just came back from Vegas. Um, 
we were there for Saturday's event, which I don't know the number. I just don't, I have no uh, idea. UFC Vegas 31. 31, yes. That's, that was what happened. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in our uh, trip there. But I have been a little out of it since I came back. I don't know why. It's a short flight, but it was a very eventful trip. And I've just been deadly sleepy since it happened. Um, also two things. What? You're not used to them still. Altitude and pollution. And we're back to the altitude and pollution. Yeah, that sucks Mexico when you come City. back. Yeah, yesterday Always. I was coughing all day. Not COVID, I got tested. Uh, which is a miracle, by the way, because Vegas... Mm. Vegas was the whole situation. So before we get into the fight thing, a little context on why Vegas, right? I wanted to get vaccinated and we chose Vegas because that's where Rodrigo got his shots and it was easy enough and we know people there. Uh, it's not a super long flight, like three hours or something. And um, I thought, wow, good opportunity. Go cover an event live for the first time since last March, March 2020, because I was there for the uh, Patient Zero <laughs> event. Event Zero, yeah, that was Event Zero. <laughs> In Brasilia. Um, and, you know, I was like, oh, no, maybe, maybe I'll get some, you know, interviews or something like that for the show, like get some content and things like that. And uh, the reality of it ended up being a little bit different because they, um, we, I had to do a quarantine. I was required to do a quarantine after taking my uh, PCR test on Friday for the show on Saturday. Um, and yeah, it ended up being very rushed and I ended up not staying for the event because I got sick, uh, which was lovely, a very nice turn of events. We still don't know what it was, maybe the vaccine, cause I took the vaccine early on Friday, felt absolutely fine all day, had a fever and like chills and stuff at night, did not get any sleep. And then on Saturday, by the time I was okay on Saturday during the day as well. Uh, but by the time the event rolled in, I was not feeling all that hot. I think it was the lack of sleep too. I was also getting my period. I know, gross, gross. There was blood uh, coming out through my vagina from my uterus, dear listeners. It's, it happens every month. I'm used to it, but it also always wreaks havoc in my system. So I was just not feeling all that, that golden and had to leave after the first fight. That was a very strange the first in my experiences covering the UFC, but I uh, went back to the hotel, managed to try to rally through the rest of the fights. I was just very sleepy. Um, it was fine, by the way. I had no fever. Just wanted to make it clear because I, I was fine. I loved getting the shot. I was so relieved. I was so happy. I was so grateful that I was able to go to the US and do that because... It is slightly infuriating for us. Now we more construction work noise. No, it's an alarm song because you're going to go on your rant about the My rant. privilege. I won't even. Americans who don't get the vaccine, even though they're like legit one of the only countries in the world where you can like go anywhere, anytime and get a vaccine. It's And get a vaccine that's approved because that was the thing, right? Like mm -hmm. one of the main points, uh, I got mine in the US because we could afford it. It's a very large privilege. We get it. And uh, I got immunized, fully immunized eight weeks ahead of schedule here in Mexico City. Yeah. And you don't know what vaccine you're getting here in Mexico City, right? By luck, we found out like a month and a half later after I got mine that I would have gotten Pfizer. 
Yeah. Uh, which is what I got in the US. Banami. But you, like, we said, okay, let's go to the US because it'll be easier. You get one of, one of the approved vaccines so you can go to Europe to see your family. Yeah, because that's thing. the thing. I'm not, I'm very much against, like, being a sommelier of vaccines, all the vaccines that are, are good. Uh, but I do... Uh, the whole thing was being able to visit my family yeah, and there is a small list of of shots that I could take that were approved and that includes the Johnson & Johnson which is the one I ultimately take I, t I took but take take the vaccines that you can get people we were again we were very fortunate I'm very grateful uh, but it was really fucking frustrating because the people there at the vaccination site who are all amazing by the way saying like yeah we can't get people here to come get vaxxed and you know i try to be an empathetic person uh and also like we know that people just didn't spontaneously decide that they were gonna be against like science and put everybody at risk because they were of, led there they were led there by you know interested parties and there has been a concerted effort to uh bring this kind of misinformation so i try to do that but it's still incredibly frustrating to see people have the privilege of just crossing the street and getting a shot that could possibly save their freaking lives and the lives of many others around them and choosing not to do that while we had to go through a whole thing that again, we were very fortunate to be able to, uh, but it was incredibly frustrating. And Vegas turned out to be a slight miscalculation for me and an Vax person because... <laughs> I'm thinking the entire U.S. miscalculation for an unvaxxed person. Yeah, because the mask uh, mandates are uh, off. We knew that, of course, when we went. We didn't get a hotel at the Strip uh, thinking exactly about that. But I knew consciously that I was going to walk into a place of unmasked a serious uh, unmasked people and I'm not saying oh if you're vaccinated you need to still be wearing a mask so that is the recommendation that's still what I'm going to be doing but judging by the percentage of vaccinated people in the US and in Las Vegas and the percentage of unmasked people I'm going to go ahead and guess that there were several unvaccinated people walking around unmasked which wasn't against the law and I was the one who chose to go there. I understand all of that, but it was still quite strange. Kind of felt like a parallel reality for us, like slipping into a world where the pandemic is over, apparently. Especially because here, even if people are like loosening up a lot, masks, everyone wears, wears masks. Like it's yeah. very difficult for you to see a person that tells you they're against masks because yeah. they don't believe in masks. They just put it on going about their business. Yeah. Like, even if they don't believe it, it's okay, I gotta put it on, they put it on. And yeah, and same for him, because what happened when we were there, like uh, Mexico City seeing the effects of Delta, the country seeing this, the effects of Delta. Uh, they were doing a lot better with vaccination. They were like being patient, using Pfizer's, using Zeneca's uh, where they could, uh, and keeping uh, warehouses of uh, Sputnik, Sinovac, and Cancino mm -hmm. just in case. Because not that they're, they don't work, they just don't want to, harm people and their prospects of leaving the country for whatever, which is, uh, they're not accepted in the EU, right? Yeah. And now Mexico City is scrambling and they started vaccinating 30 to 39s last weekend and this week using the reserves of Sputnik. Yeah. Because they can't get another vaccine. They're, they're, yeah. Even if you have the money to buy them, they can't get any other vaccine. So it's like, it's infuriating to see your country rushing with the whatever we have 
And then see in the U.S. that you can walk, go to a fucking mall and get a vaccine and people just choose not yeah. to. It's and we just, took like cabs, like Ubers and stuff because we tried to rent a car and then we couldn't. Like, the whole thing. I'm not going to. This is. I'm already like loopy and low energy. I don't Fuck wanna, you, Pacho uh, rent a car. Fuck you. I don't want to bore you anymore with this. I promise we're talking about fights. I just thought that this was important to address. And like uh, we had a driver be like, uh, no, you know, I had COVID earlier. So I'm still in that window. But like, I don't believe in mass and whatever. And you're thinking like this person is getting passengers on his car. And this his, the passengers will also be unmasked. A, a lot of them. And like. I don't. One guy, as soon as we came in, is like, "Oh, I don't care about masks. You can take them out, attempt take them off." And we didn't. But it was kind of like, "Dude, you're risking yourself a lot more than we are because you're having all these people in your little car the entire day, and you're not caring whether you're not asking whether they're vaccinated. You don't care, and they could be. It to me is just very like, holy shit, like." denial 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 about the whole thing and it's very it was very stressful honestly the whole trip uh, i was an emotional mess the entire time uh, but we we went we got the vaccine we got to see the weigh-ins for the first time in a long time realized i have completely lost touch of how to talk to people i don't remember how to do that anymore it's very strange i don't know what to do with my hands i don't i lost timing of conversations <laughs> it's a very funny thing to realize like even though i do talk to people for the podcast talking to people in real life takes like a, a flow of communication that i realize is entirely gone for me so this is gonna be a little a little adjustment as we move back into the real world but yeah we were there and there was of course an event uh UFC event on Saturday and we'll talk a little bit about that I will start it wasn't the main event but I think a main storyline of that one that everybody was uh talking about was of course the return of Misha Tate uh former UFC champion who retired I'm thinking five years ago after yeah November 2016 November 2016 um after a loss to Raquel Pennington and um yeah she came back I will we'll get to the fight though but I will say this as a people's we uh, tend to be very skeptical of MMA returns. We tend not to necessarily get behind them uh, very enthusiastically. Um, you know, there's always that sense of, mm, you sure you want to do that? <laughs> and with Misha, I think when the announcement came in, we were a little bit thrown off. But um, then at the, after that, I think everybody was just really excited and like I feel like we kind of got behind it and I, I guess I want to ask you uh, why why do you think with Misha Tate I have my theories but why do you think with Misha Tate it was different that we were more willing to like not only accept but like legitimately be excited that she was back um, I think it felt very hasty when she retired it felt mm -hmm. very emotionally uh, felt like someone who's just jaded and drained by the mm -hmm. whole thing. And by the whole thing, I mean literally the whole thing, right? Like training, dieting, mm -hmm. cutting, fighting. Mm -hmm. uh, she like, she's a fucking trooper, right? Like she got knocked out violently and severely by Amanda Nunes. She was there in the press conference for UFC 200. So like, mm -hmm. I think it was like, ah, like we were like a little bummed that she left. Not because she was gone, because of the way she was. And like, I think a mm -hmm. lot of us 
wished her timing could be better. And we can sit here and talk about retirements all day long because they're never perfect, right? For yeah. me, the perfect retirement feels like it's not perfect, which is Habib's, right? Yeah, or, or GSP's. About this, like, yeah. it, it, they don't feel perfect. And that's the, the, the good part because you don't see the decline. Mm-hmm. And we didn't think Misha had a decline. Like, she lost against a fucking force of nature with Amanda Nunes, which yeah. during this five years, now we know she's the best uh, female fighter ever. Mm-hmm. And Raquel Pengti was a tough out. So, okay. And then we saw, like, what happened in her personal life. Mm-hmm. Broke up with Brian Caraway. Now, like, had, like, actual legal problems with him. Met someone else, Johnny Nunez. Became a mother twice. Got married. And started doing media. And she, like, I don't know if it's just my impression. I just felt like she was in a better place with everything. Yeah. And I'm guessing throughout that moment, she felt like, you know what? I'm not fine with not fighting. So when she was coming, I was like, okay, like, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, Marion Renault was like a good pick. She's not, she's, yeah, she was never the best fighter, but she was always a good fighter, solid fighter. Um, fucking tough like out. Like reliable, finish, like reliable. sturdy and reliable. Let's say like that. a good, like a. Uh, throwing shit at Elena Aldana's way she- after she pulled up from two fights against Marion, yeah. but that's a thing for another day. It was okay. Like, I personally felt that the comeback came from a good place, right? Like, yeah. I wasn't done with my career. I'm at a whole better place. I'm a new person now. Uh, my personal life is good. I want to see if I have something left. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a comeback with someone who doesn't have the money, mm-hmm. who, like, needs to pay for stuff, who, like, had... A... It felt very organic, the way she came back. She's yeah. like, okay, I'll do one, see what happens. Mm-hmm. Okay, I did one. Finish someone who had never been finished, even though she was in a losing streak. Yeah. Okay, let's try and see what it takes me. Like, if it takes me to a championship fight, good. If it doesn't, good. Yeah. But like, okay, I'm back. And it doesn't hurt that she looks better than ever in everything. Oh, yeah. And she she was, we were following her. And it's, it's funny, right? Because those are the intangibles. I feel like one thing that turns everybody off in everything is desperation. Yep. Right? Like, it's a human thing. Babe, you have a... A water glass so close <laughs> to your laptop, and you talk with your hands like me, and I'm terrified. This I'm glad you've time. never seen me in the booth. Oh my god, this is this is yeah, but this is your laptop. I like, do have if, a, if it's the network show. I do I, have a, a, a tea tumbler that sticks to the table, oh so god. it doesn't tip over. I'm like staring at this water glass uh, the entire time, just waiting for a disaster to happen. But okay, uh, back to back to Misha. So I, I think that, you know, that's a human kind of thing where it turned off. We see like desperation, like eh, that's ugh. and oftentimes when fighters come back, I do think that it gives off the impression. And again, it's impression. We don't know them. We could be terribly misreading all the situations. Um, but, you know, and, and it feels like it's when this person didn't plan it all the way through and needed the money. Right. Like sometimes that's the impression we get. And that's never uh, it's a good reason, of course, because we live in a capitalistic society and we know that people need to do things for money. Uh, but like it doesn't feel like, you know, what the, the most intelligent reason to come back. And then also just kind of like a person who might be a little 
have failed to found another outlet or, you know, I think we, we, we might be projecting too much when we look at those, but I think a lot of it is just based on impression and the impression that Misha Tate gave us was someone who was well aware of what she was getting back into, who addressed, like, I was so depressed. I was in such a terrible place when I quit fighting that one time. And like, now I'm not, now I feel good. Um, who, uh, was like, you know, financially, like I'm okay. I don't, I don't necessarily need this to happen for me. And, and all of those things, I think it helps that, uh, the division is not stacked. It's a weak division. Women's 135. Let's say 145 doesn't exist because it doesn't exist. It barely exists. Yeah. Women's 135 is the weakest division there is. Yeah. So it's kind of like. It's mm -hmm. the least with uh, the the, 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 the division where the UFC signs the least fighters. Mm Mm-hmm. And the division that fights the least in the entire calendar of the UFC for like the last five years. So it's like, you know, it's not like she's necessarily coming in to this enormous shark tank. We do, I think, collectively feel like Amanda Nunes, like I personally, I think a lot of people agree. I think, yes, I, I totally get why she's saying, no, I'm here for the belt as she should be. And I think the UFC may very well give her one another fight and schedule that and it has intrigue I still don't think it makes sense from a business standpoint as somebody who saw the first fight and who's seen what Amanda Nunes has done since then I don't know if right now I'm necessarily thinking that anything different is going to happen uh but other than that you know I I would be curious still to see her among other people higher in the division uh there's a big drop we know it's like Amanda Holly Jermaine. Uh, Jermaine, like uh, even uh, Irene, who just bounced back. Because that's Kelly, the thing, right? Like they can't find challengers, right? Like yeah. they did this show where it was headlined by Irene and Dana Holly Holm and Juliana Pena was fighting Jermaine the Randomly. So like, yeah, like if you, any of these win, we're getting that, like, yeah. and they both lose, right? Yeah. And then Aspen Lara did not for two mm-hmm. years. Uh, Juliana had to come back and beat Sarah McMahon yeah. to get a title shot. And she got a title shot because there's no one else. No, yeah. Irene Eldana didn't make weight, but came back, beat Yana Koniskaya. But like those three, four at the top, they haven't mm-hmm. been able to break them for what now? Seven years, six years? Like it's Amanda, Jermaine, Holly, and the rest yeah. of the division. Yeah. And we have like a few like uh, sort of up-and-comers who didn't write quite Aspen Lad. Yeah, Aspen hasn't fought in two years. Uh, she's he, fighting this weekend. She's fighting this weekend. Yeah. She hasn't fought in two years. Uh, Juliana lost against... Uh, had to beat Sarah, as I was saying. So it's... it's Like, it's... If Misha beats Holly... Yeah. If I legit don't see a reason... Why not? Why not give her an attempt? Because it is, like, at this point, what are we... It's not like she's going to be destroying some super worthy chances, right? Yeah, she's only... That is six and four in the UFC. Like, I think it's she's not only 34. Like, Misha? Misha? Yes, she's 34, she's 34. very she's young. young. Yeah. Like, so it's like, I think all of that kind of combined for us to kind of like feel like this was... And then we followed her uh, sort of training on social media and she looked in freaking incredible shape. Uh, and one thing I really love about this whole thing It's kind of like, you know, I think a lot of the narrative is, oh, she has two kids, she's a mom, like John Anik even mentioned in the broadcast that she's still nursing, which was met with uh, an awkward silence (laughs) by the booth, which I get, but it's like, guys, women nurse, let's Uh, not be awkward about it. We, you know, like, but it's still, the freaking glass of water is shit. Oh my God, you're going to drown your laptop. But okay, I warned you. 
Uh, <laughs> and uh, one thing I really enjoyed, and because I feel like we have a tendency to sort of put these um, aspirational labels uh, on on moms, which is cool in a way because it's recognition of a really hard thing that is to be a mom. I would imagine, I wouldn't know. It does seem like something I uh, would never be able to pull off. I don't want to. Motherhood is not an aspiration of mine, but it's, it's, it just, it's, I think it's cool that we acknowledge that. And then we're like, you know, uh, these women with their bodies, not just their bodies, but their minds, like through these like really intense experience. And they went back into training and came back into the cage. That's cool. But, uh, it kind of, you know, as a society, I think when women become moms, there's kind of a tendency to erase the woman and just put the mom there. And one very cool thing that I thought that Misha said before was like, yeah, I'm doing this to like kind of show my, uh, my daughter that, you know, there are strong women out there. I want to show that to my, my son too. like give my daughter an example, show my, my son that, that are strong women out there, but I'm doing this for me, like me, the person Misha Tate. And I was like, that is a simple thing that is also super fucking cool she's doing it for herself and it's awesome and yeah she got an incredible shape she's always had rough cuts but she looked really good on the scale yeah i've watched her fight i think this is my third misha fight and this is by far i don't know how the actual cut was mm -hmm. but like her standing good. on the yeah. scale this was like the best in everything, right? Because you see, like, their balance goes off. They're mm -hmm. a little loopy. They look clammy. The they eyes look, dry, look glassy. Sunken. This is the best she's looked on the yeah. scale for, like, three or four fights. So, yeah. She, she went there, did the damn, damn thing, looked relaxed, looked like she was having fun. It was all awesome. And then she won. So, I'm actually uh, super excited about Misha Tate being back to be perfectly honest. And I am looking forward to seeing what happens next. If it's Holly, uh, even Irene maybe could be, I don't know if if they think that it's too risky maybe for a little reward because Holly uh, and Misha, obviously it's a more high intrigue fight that could really justify a co-main or a main in a, in a card that is a little, that is not pay-per-view or whatever. But uh, curious about that. Another comeback that I personally liked seeing was Rodolfo Vieira, the jiu-jitsu ace who came back from what I think was the upset of the year. Because <laughs> he was not only lost to, uh, to Fluffy Hernandez, uh, Anthony. Because I keep forgetting, there's an Alexander and there's an Anthony. The Alexander is the douchey one. Anthony is the one that I think looks kind of nice. He looks like a cool dude. Um, who, and he submitted Rodolfo to the surprise of literally everyone on planet Earth. If you tell me, oh no, I, I thought that uh, Rodolfo was going to get submitted. I'll be like, you're a liar and just trying to sound edgy. And yeah, I don't like, like you. Can, she, can he lose to Fluffy? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, he can he can. get submitted by Fluffy? No. Uh, yep. So anyway, yeah. and after that fight, I remember, I think I told you, like, I don't even know if Rodolfo is like going to retire after this. And I know it sounds extreme, but like Rodolfo is a very interesting character because when you talk to him, he um, he's always he's brutally honest. So I remember interviewing him right before his UFC debut and he was talking about like I asked him about sort of expectations like are you coming in? 
looking like for that belt, looking for like, what is it that, you know, do you set goals for yourself, whatever. And then he's kind of like, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to fight one fight. I don't know if I'm going to fight five fights. I don't know how good I'm going to be in the UFC. Uh, I would love to tell you, like, yeah, I'm going to be champion. Like, I don't know if that's going to happen for me. And I just thought that that was so freaking cool. It was just, like, this incredible jiu-jitsu player, really, like, who's achieved so much. He not only decided to make a change going from something that he freaking excels at to something that is physically dangerous and that he might not be as good at. And he talked about being really shaken when he fought, uh, I think it was ACB. Um, I might be wrong. I will need to to get back to you on that. But he was fighting in a promotion and he had a kind of scary thing where he, he won that fight, but he got hit hard. And he talked about forgetting what happened during the fight, like asking things multiple times and being very confused. And that freaked him out a lot. Um, and he like took him a while to to go back and stuff. And he was talking about this very candidly. I This was my first time interviewing him. He didn't know me. Um, and, you know, he's talking about these things and these doubts and this kind of like, you know, what? <laughs> like maybe I will suck at this. He never said it in those words. But and it, for somebody who was such a successful competitor to have that mindset, I was like, this is really freaking cool. Uh, after that loss, I was really like, I wonder how what this is going to do to this man. And on the one hand, as we know, grapplers and jujitsu players, they tend to have, a, I think, a different relationship with losses because they are more used to them fighting so often and, and having like all those matches and you lose and it's part of it and that might make them a little healthier with that but in my mind I was like is this maybe the thing that gets him to think you know what I don't fucking need this like when it losing via submission I was like worried about th- what that would do to him and then he was like came back not that long afterward and he was like yeah I was just like talking to a sports psychology like it was a good thing that happened to me that loss and came back and freaking trended around I was like that is so freaking cool good on you Adolfo you know what um that's for me like the two mark of a national martial artist right because like we have a lot of obviously like from different walks of life, but a lot of jujitsu guys and jujitsu, as we know, can be a very toxic environment. Mm-hmm. And you see them, like even like world champions, uh, Abu Dhabi Combat Club champions, Quake Black Belts and stuff, go to MMA and be like so bad at handling losses. Yeah, like dude, that that's not a to me. That's like not the martial arts. He was a very good jujitsu player, but that's not being a martial artist. What Rodolfo did, what people like. For me, like another example is like Matt Sarah, right? Like mm-hmm. those are true martial artists, right? Like yeah. they take the loss with like that philosophy and trying to come back and see, okay, this is what happened. What do I need to get better? Mm-hmm. Losses are part of life. Losses are part of a career. And Mackenzie Dern, for example, same yeah. thing. And trying to come back from that and like not being, dude, in an environment like jujitsu and MMA, talking about seeing a sports psychologist. Yeah. It's not easy. Now it's a lot less taboo. I've noticed, at least from interviewing people 
over the past like five years it's changed a lot like but i'm still, hearing a lot more of that and i think it's also because toxic disseminating at the gym and people are like oh i'm seeing this person who's like i'm seeing a lot of people more but you're absolutely right that it is kind of a, a toxic environment it's and he cool. looked good his striking was good and yeah. he got a very good submission so we'll see what happens to him he, he like, we've talked about this right like with him and mackenzie they're like these are people that do not need fighting yeah, they like, could do seminars. Yeah, my and like attach their name to things. And they could like do be, seminars for thirty yeah. years. Uh, get a gi sponsorship, and they'll be fine, comfortable, and good. Right? Yeah. Like these are people who are doing this because they want to prove something to themselves. Yeah, or just like stay. Yeah, or just like feed whatever competitive drive that they still have. And I say this about like built like coming back stronger from losses and stuff with a lot of admiration. Uh, not because I'm like morally reprimanding people who aren't like that because I'm not, I'm a terrible. I like, I <laughs> give up at the first sight of adversity. I'm the weakest person, you know, in your life. So it's like, <laughs> this is coming from versus like, I wish I was like that. I could never imagine like, a, a person is mean to me on Twitter and it takes me two days oh. to like emotionally recover from being, you know, this humiliated. And now, and I see these people I'm like, this is amazing. It's amazing that our brains are made of the same basic organic materials. And these people, forget the bodies. Of course, the bodies are, uh, their bodies are highly superior to mine in many ways. But the brain is what really gets me as when it comes to the difference between me and these people and handling like everyday life. Uh, so good on you, Rodolfo. I thought that was pretty fucking cool. Um, and then what else? And then there was obviously the main event. Mahachev uh, beat Tiago Moises. And I honestly, I was so loopy at the time of the main event. I, I wasn't really paying attention that well. Can't really comment on a lot of the specifics. I just saw Mahachev doing Mahachev things and being just like a tidal wave of pressure and just like making it very miserable for anybody who shares a few minutes with him and uh but i did one thing that was really struck me as funny was like at the end of the fight he was on the mic and he was like why doesn't like why does nobody want to fight me and i'm like why do you think nobody wants to freaking fight you my champ it, why would why would anybody want to put themselves? That's why whenever anybody calls out Mahashev, I'm like, just give that person this fight because who wants this in their lives? No one. It's terrible. You're probably not gonna get a fight night bonus. I don't know. Has he ever had a fight night bonus, babe? Who Islam? Islam. Yeah, you have the cell phone uh, in hand. He, I'm pretty sure he has. But by the way, oh, we'll talk about uh, Mateusz He's, afterwards. Oh, okay. There's, like a bunch of people. Because Mateusz, like three fights, three bonuses. Now you brought bonuses. Uh, fight of the night against Armand Sarokin. Oh, yeah? When was in, that? Uh, the St. Petersburg fight, remember? 2019. Oh, okay. April 2019. Okay, then I'm sorry. Over That's the only bonus, yes. Okay. I'll take. I'll kind of take it back because you want to fight at the night, but it's like it's not exactly the kind of fight that is likely to give you many fans because of just the way that Mahasha fights, and then you're gonna like be there in a world of pain. 
against a guy who has a, a very good chance of beating you for what? So it's kind of like, Mahashev, why would anybody want to fight you? You know, the, the people who want to fight Mahashev at this point of their careers are people who kind of feel like they have a lot to gain, right? I'm risking a lot by fighting this guy, but if I beat him, that really puts solidifies me and like really is the next step that I needed, which was really the position that Chago Moisés was in. He was kind of just there, like put together a little streak and stuff like that. He's a very, again, sturdy and reliable competitor, but, and Mahashev would be the thing to really put him up there as a top guy. And then, you know, you can understand that, but then like, why would Tony freaking Ferguson, even though Tony is on his kid, wants to fight Mahashev at this point. Like, what is RDA even, right? Because they had a fight scheduled. It fell through. Yeah, Mahashev got COVID. RDA got the uh, another fight, got that barn burning with Felder, won, like put himself... To be the replacement for McGregor, Dustin, would something happen? And when you're in that position again, right? Like, why would you go down? Yeah. They need to decide what they're going to do with Mahashev internally. Like, they really need to decide because yeah. it's, that's the thing, right? Like, we talk about promotion. We talk about prize fighting, about this not being an actual linear sport, which is why I have, like, a severe pet peeve with people calling MMA promotions leagues because they're not a league. They're, there's not a, a meritocracy here, right? Yeah. Uh, they need to decide what they're going to do with Mahashev. Like they really, Tiago was a weird choice, but that's the only choice they could. Have the Mahashev problem, dude. Tiago is like, he's not. You're not gonna look good against him. You're gonna beat him, and yeah. Mahashev like beat him pillar to post. You're not gonna look good against him. It's impossible, even if you finish him right. They need to decide what the hell they're gonna do. He deserves like a top five fight. He deserves a, a very up there fight. He was calling out Michael Chandler too, which I would really like to see. That's a good fight. But again, why would Michael Chandler take that fight? So they're in a very difficult position as, as far as like what they're going to do with him now. I'm thinking the comparisons against Habib, having Habib in the corner uh, helps his case, like helps the UFC. Okay, like this is a way we can keep uh, Habib involved, right? Yeah. Present. Uh, he, whatever, like the, I don't know if like Dana lights candles every night to see if uh, Habib's going to want to come back or not. Uh, especially after he said that they kind of talked now about the GSP fighting. He said no. Um, but we'll see. They 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 have they really do have a problem. They're like, uh, good thing is this fight. I think a lot of people, the not only hardcores but like a little casuals got interested. In like saying, oh okay, I want to see him against the best ones. I want to see him against best yeah. fighters. And maybe that popular opinion is gonna like have the UFC like dude like. Call six people. Someone has to take this fight. We need to do because something. that's the thing. I I agree. Like we want to see him against the best ones, and he wants to see himself against the best ones. Do the best ones want to see themselves? Well, that's why you have Hunter in the UFC. The strong arming like, strategy. Strong arming, like hey, like take this fight. I'll call you. Yeah, it's it, and this is obviously not me saying Mahashev, it's your fault. Like be less good at this. <laughs> obviously not. Like good on you for being like a crusher of souls, but uh, yeah, he's exactly in that position where he's just not. I think a valuable fights for people who are up there he's still not a big household name he's still not you know he hasn't broken through yet so it's um it's quite a pickle we'll see the mahashev pickle okay 
We'll workshop. Mahashev conundrum. Schrodinger's Mahashev. That made no sense. Unfortunately, I think the only man who would have taken that fight is no longer fighting. So there's that. Who? Paul Felder. Felder would have taken that fight. You're right. I agree with you. Well, that's a problem for them. Not us. Good luck, yeah, matchmakers, promoters, Mahashev, and whoever ends up being uh, on the other end of that one, because you're in a you're in a in a strange position. Uh, anything else from that event you mentioned? Yeah, uh, Mateusz Kamrot, a former KSW uh, star, like one of the Is biggest stars. They were saying that Mateusz. I don't know. It's spelled Mateusz. It's spelled Mateusz like a Brazilian Mateusz, but like I don't know. Uh, yeah, they, but the other they were also saying Janji Georgia. So <laughs> there you go, and they can say Valle to save their lives. So. No. Lost his first fight against Gurem Kutatuletse. Tough fucking fight. Now two some two finishes, Kyle Halsman and now James Stevens. Three fight night bonuses mm-hmm. in three fights. So. He's gonna be someone who they're gonna push. He's like a, he's just an exciting guy. Yeah, like he's good technically in every part of the game. And he just fights a very exciting. A lot of uh, people wanted to see Jeremy Stevens getting some up. Get, yeah, dude, get he's a, a dick. <laughs> the thing he threw here in Mexico, the tantrum he threw here in Mexico. Yeah, you're yeah. And dude, like I'm not one to say you're not injured. You should have fought. I'm just saying. No, come on. Don't go there. Yelling at Yair in the hotel the next day. Okay. But was it Yair who started it? Uh, it's both of them. They're both See, like that. See, they, they both were. And then I'm, on I'm Monday, not... like saying, oh, I'm f-, he said, I'm fine now. But he mm. was fine then. He wasn't fine mm. at the fight. But no. okay, whatever. We'll dis- uh, I will defend Jeremy Stevens. I will never that. defend Jeremy Stevens. I, I defended him on that whole situation, and I forever will because I think that we've had this conversation on the show several times. But then, yeah, he pushed uh, freaking... Um, Dracar oh Close. Dracar Close. was a fucking the asshole wins, about it. Uh, Dracar Close couldn't fight, and then Jeremy Stevens proceeded to be an asshole about it. So I'm all for Dracar Close. Was it like my primal self took over? Uh, yeah. Where's your primal, primal self? You're Kimura to hell. I'm <laughs> sad of it, but that's okay. That's why I support Close's, Close's like, right to be petty as shit on Twitter about the whole he situation. I am like, I'm rooting for you, Dracar have that this is your moment so please continue but uh yeah jeremy stevens has rubbed a lot of people the wrong way over the years so i feel like uh beating the right person unfortunately is also part of this business right tied to ivasa uh just said the the event from like two weeks ago he beat knocked out greg hardy and it helped that he you know did the shoey and he's funny and he's a charismatic guy but like we've just been waiting for somebody to do what he did to greg hardy and he did and that's probably going to be a very big boost to his uh popularity so yeah uh daniel daniel rodriguez p-rod who's mm. becoming like a go-to guy like uh debuted in february 2020 mm. uh, six fights now into his ufc career in a little over a year five on one Got another finish. I didn't get a bonus. That sucked. But uh, on a night of six bonuses, he didn't get a bonus. But uh, another finish. He's a very exciting fighter. I love him. And then uh, Amanda Lemus, uh, third uh, third straight win in the strawweight division since she came down, uh, knocking out Montserrat Ruiz, which a lot of people, you included, like didn't like the stoppage. But like what we saw of the fight, she was superior. Like her striking yeah. was on point. The kick was on point. 
uh, if you like or not, the finish. She just, she dropped very spectacularly. Montserrat was like a very tough fighter. Like, yeah. she just went face first into the canvas. We'll see what happens with her. Uh, unfortunately, there's Wally there, like, yelling at people. But <sighs> that's a reality of MMA, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you've known about this, like, what I call my boys. Mm. Of the other promotions I've been, like, lucky enough to call. Sergei Morozov. Uh, used to be the bantamweight champion at M1. Uh, fought Josh Rettinghouse in his last M1 fight. Aww, lost. Josh, Josh is not tough. He lost, just lost last week. Yeah. I'm um, still heartbroken over Josh losing that fight on tough. He had a very tough first fight against Umar Nurmagomedov, who, if you ask the people at AKA and Javier Mendez, like, Umar is the heir apparent to Javier. It's not even Mahashev, it's Umar. Now got another tough fight against Khalid Taha. Uh, finally got his win. He's a, I, I love Kazakh fighters. He's amazing. He's a good fighter. Hopefully he'll get like a, a nice career in the UFC. I keep forgetting that most of these people fought. So I'm glad you're here. I called, I think, six uh, Morozov fights uh, in a one. I think like, oh, honestly, I have such horrible memory. Um, so I forget a lot that happens. I'm like, I literally watched this thing like two weeks ago and it was... You, you you were there and I'm like was I was I really oh uh, so yeah so I'm glad you're here to uh, remind me that I have to remind myself what all I these had for people, dinner yesterday and it was a thing so uh, it's a good day and, and my brain is not at its finest on this particular day so uh, okay moving on uh, from that and yes, like you said, I don't necessarily love the stoppage of the Amanalemus fight. I just and I know this is contentious and there's no way to prove it, but I do have those times where I'm like, if this was a guy, maybe it would have gone on longer. I don't really say that a lot because I know that there is very hard to prove and people get very defensive. They kind of think, oh, you're calling the person sexist. And it's like, no, I'm not saying that the ref at the split second and that decision he had to make thought, oh man, it's a woman, so I better stop it. That's not what we're implying. I just think that sometimes there's a little bit of just bias hanging in there where you're, you're tempted to think that a man, subconsciously that a man might be able to withstand a little more damage, but it's also hypocritical of me to say that because I'm all, always for a bit of an earlier stoppage than a bit of a late stoppage. So uh, maybe that's there's that too. Uh, I, on someone like sorry, on, so, on someone like Toyoni, I might let it slide because he has a good track record. Yeah. On someone like Herdeen, because I think that's like the epitome of the girl stoppage is the the Aspen Ledger main yeah, event. Yeah. Dude, Herdeen is so late to stop every single one of his fights. And that one he stopped in the second. Yeah, but that was one. So it's kind of like I did. I couldn't go back and find evidence to be like, you know, this is a pattern of behavior. It's just sometimes when I'm watching a fight, that's kind of where yeah, my mind goes. But I, again, I could be terribly wrong. There's really no way to prove it. Like you said, she was out. So maybe he acted on her being out. And then by the time he got there, she was up again. And there was nothing wrong with that. Like watching, I was kind of like, hmm, could have gone on longer. But uh, moving past that, let's talk a little bit about the... Uh, and there was also a big event that we're not going to talk about was Bellator. Uh, Juliana Velasquez uh, capped uh, Bellator's flyweight belt after beating Denise Kierholz. I don't know if that's how you say yep. her name. But we, we weren't able to watch that fight because we didn't have the channel in the hotel room. So, uh, but yeah. 
Goron Goronju apparently was a very close, very good fight. Uh, and then this weekend we have the return of TJ Dillashaw, who's fighting Corey Sanhagen uh, in the main event. And I am all sorts of conflicted about this one. I want your opinion on it because it's, as we all know, TJ uh, Dillashaw is coming back from a long doping suspension uh, from after being caught for EPO and he admitted to it. So it's not like we don't know what happened. Like We know uh, he doped and he admitted to it and he was punished for it and is coming back. And, you know, the UFC has kind of been pushing this redemption storyline that I think is rubbing a lot of people the wrong way because it does seem like, oh, this man had to overcome this terrible obstacle in his life and is now clawing his way back. And it's like, that big obstacle was put in there by himself. So <laughs> sympathy is limited. Uh, but at the same time, I don't know, when we talk about doping uh, in sports, and particularly in MMA, to me, it's just kind of a nuanced and complicated discussion. I I understand the amount of pressure these people uh, are operating under. Um, I understand that people make mistakes, and I try to be empathetic about it. Um, I am not necessarily a moralist in some ways, and at the same time, I'm like, well you know, the rules are rules. You need to try to keep an even even playing field and especially in martial arts when that involves possibly being able to inflict more damage in another human person. I feel like it gets more complicated. At the same time, I'm like, well, steroids don't make you superhuman. Does it need to invalidate all your accomplishments? Uh, it's to me, it's just a very like murky, complicated conversation and that I have a tough time unpacking and I don't even know how I feel about TJ's return, but that's, I guess why I'll ask you, how are you feeling about TJ coming back? Oh, I'm from the Nick Diaz school on steroids. <laughs> like everybody's on steroids. Everybody's on steroids. And this is for me, like covering like Olympic games and, uh, other sports and MMA, like, I will never tell you that a fighter's clean. I will never tell you that an athlete's clean. Hmm. Because they're competitors and competitors look for an edge. An edge. And it is a very difficult thing. It's a very difficult debate. Um, I find it hard to sympathize on the side of the UFC of USA or USADA when they knew this was going on for decades and then just did this to like cover legally their asses, obviously, to like say, hey, we're, hey, we're cleaning the sport. No, you're not cleaning the sport. The only thing you're doing, the way you're doing is like unevening the playing field even more. We have this the conversation. People, the people yeah. who can actually afford the Balcos of 2021, they're still doing shit. Like, you think they, they're still doing it, but of like... Of course. This is why it's like, for example, EPO. Which now, like 20 years on and 10, 10 years after, like Lance Armstrong and stuff, it seems very common, right? But like, this is something that uh, started with blood, blood doping, where you take your blood and then just inject shit out of your blood before uh, going out to, to do the stage in cycling. Uh, the the, the half-life of EPO is so short that that's why a lot of people use it. Because mm. like, you would have to be like very unlucky to get that guy that you saw that girl or guy like at the moment where it's like still detectable in your body. Okay. 
Yeah, I just, listeners note, I have no knowledge of any of, like, the specificities, so... I don't know. I can't even the, 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 have this debate. If you're an old school fan of MMA, remember the whole TRT debate like seven, yeah. eight years ago? And that was kind of what pushed, I think. And you only, but yeah, but you only did it because of Nevada catching Victor Velford, right? Like the UFC didn't want to touch this. Like they didn't want to do this. And then they, Victor was there for like an award. Uh, he had a license to fight Chris Wyman that year. The Nevada Commission got him. And he popped the biggest testosterone to epitestosterone ratio in the history of the commission. And they were like, we're not going to license you. So, okay, they made TRT illegal and then they started like researching and then they used that thing. So, they're just patches. Uh, it's difficult. The, pl- the playing field will never be even. And I do not agree the way. Like, should you have something there? Yes. Should you have doping? Yes. Just the thing, I think, the way water. And you saw to go about it. It's very criminally. It's very unresearched in a lot of stuff. We saw the thing about the sunscreen that can make you pop for a bunch of things, which wasn't like in the rules. Yeah, uh, they're with, like... A, with rough font. You can see they're like ironing out the kinks. And it's better now than it was when it started. But at the same time, there are some murky things too. Like, right, you're making these independent contractors give you their whereabouts... At all times, like having to report to USADA at all times. And it's, you know, that's the thing. I don't have an answer for that, but it is very, you're asking a lot from these fighters. uh, And I like that in the sense that it is just, you know, the highest type of effort to make sure that you're getting a clean sport. And at the same time, it's how fair is it to be this invasive with people who are independent contractors it's not at all it should be illegal but the can, fighters will never they uh, they have no way of union, yeah, so. to bargain against that so to me this is kind of like the thorniest and most complicated subject to discuss personally the thing you said oh everybody is on steroids i literally have no idea about any of this it's one of the the questions that i got a lot uh from people like oh off the record like if you were to give me a percentage how many fighters do you think are doping oh, totally speculate i have no clue i i don't know a fighter can tell me i'm absolutely clean i've never done it and i'll believe them like i i really really have no idea i don't like speculating about these things i'm just like it, it is one of those subjects that I feel like I'm just not really equipped that well to discuss and I, that, that I have so many, so much conflict on. Um, and with TJ coming back, I feel like that's, that's kind of like a very, I think it's, I, I do, I am kind of like, who was it who said, it was Bisping. Like I do have this sort of respect for TJ for owning up to what he did. And like, and coming back, right? Because we know like this, how much of a, a cloud, a dark cloud that's going to be with him forever. Like he could be, and how many questions he's going to be answering about it. And coming into this fight, the pressure on him uh, is very high because you can imagine, right? Like if he comes back and he sucks against Corey Sanhagen, who is an incredibly challenging opponent they did not go easy on him i see- truly believe core is like legit one of the best 15 bantamweights in the history of MMA. and just an right and they just told this guy who's coming back from like a two-year suspension 
uh, against him, you know, like you're putting a lot on the line and you can look like, if you look like shit, how many people are going to go and be like, oh, so your entire career, like everything you've done up to this point until like you became a freaking USC champion, it was because of steroids. So it's a very high stakes situation. It's a lot of pressure. And I do respect him for like owning up. I did this. I fucked up. And I like, I'm going to come back and fight like a really fucking tough guy and, and, and talk about this. And I'm like, that's kind of, that's cool. I do. I do respect that. And at the same time, it's kind of like, I don't know. I have a hard time conjuring up the sympathy. <laughs> it also depends like the position you were when you got caught. Right. Cause like, now we're all talking about Ty, uh, about um, TJ and stuff. I was going to call him Tyler. It's Tyler Jeffrey Dillashaw. Talking about TJ and stuff. But like, His name is Tyler? Tyler Jeffrey Dillashaw. Oh, okay. He kind of looks uh, like a Tyler. And Jeffrey spelled weird though, with a J. Okay. It's like J-E-F... Oh, it's like Joffrey. It's J-E-F-F-E-R-E-Y. It has an, an, e, an E after the, the oh, F's. Oh, okay, got it. It's like Jeffery, okay. something like that. <laughs> I might be misquoting. Uh, dude, Saturday, we, f- we forget about this the whole time. Amanda Lemos, she got suspended two years for steroids after mm-hmm. her first fight. And like everyone was talking about TJ, and I was like, didn't talk about Amanda, right? It was like on a three-win streak after a two-year suspension for steroids. Mm-hmm. So like when you're really high like, yeah. on the scale of who you are, former champion, whatever, you get all this shit. When you're a little down, or like maybe you don't even have the money to prove that it was a contamination. Yeah. Like we hear nothing. Like, and that's also and even in the playfield, right? Like in the rough fun thing. You can Google if you you're not up to it for everyone who's listening. That's the positive that I, I, uh, uh, after the Cody Garbrandt fight, they found out it was a mistake of a threshold that water removed from the labs. And if they didn't have the entire uh tickets of everything they bought a register of literally every like even uh you know beauty product that he used he would have tested positive Mm -hmm. you need money you need a structure and you need a good team around you for that a common fighter would have tested positive would have been gone for two years and they proved that what rafan proved positive for was a sunscreen yeah so that's my thing with doping like if you have the money and the structure when you get fucked and it's not your fault Mm -hmm. you can get out of it when it's not Guido Canetti, Argentinian fighter, tested positive because of supplements. Took him two and a half years to prove it because he didn't have the money to yeah. do it. And some guys early on had the money to do it and still got screwed up. Tom Lawler. Yeah. Ended his career in the UFC because of it. JDS had a really tough time too. And the uh, thing and Lawler... Ended up, ended up being proven uh, vindicated, but it took him a long time. And a lot of money. And the thing Lawler tested positive for at that time was two years, now six months. Yeah. So... That's my thing. So it is very, it's complicated. I will say athletically and as a fight, I'm, I, I, I'm excited. It's a very good fight. Still like, I still am excited. Um, and I guess to close this out, cause we're about to go, but, um, Aspen led versus Macy Chesson, Chesson, I hope I'm saying it right. I'm, dude, that's why everybody, if you ever have me on your podcast and you feel bad about mispronouncing my last name, don't be. Don't be because I mispronounce every name. I deserve it. It's karma, uh, which is a very good fight. And also, uh, one that I'm particularly invested in, Macy Barber and Miranda Maverick. 
I've become like I think an unlikely defender of Macy Barber <laughs> lately because I can absolutely see why she would rub some people the wrong way. She's just extremely confident to the point where it comes across a little cocky. And um, when you do that and you lose, it's kind of like a human thing to just want to pile on. Uh, so I understand why all, that happened, all of, why all of that happened, but I do. I liked Macy uh, Barber coming in and being like, you know what? I train a lot. I'm fucking awesome. I'm going to be champion. I'm going to like do great things. And I think I'm amazing. And I'm like, it is so rare for a young woman to, to believe those things, first of all, about herself, because we're like socialized to be either insecure or, or not vocal about being secure, right? Because you need to be humble. It's not ladylike to just go and like just assert grandiose things about yourself. Yeah, Connor and Chelsan and they're like, mm -hmm. oh, the, the, they're like theories to the, these people. And like a girl says, is like, no, shut yeah. up. It's, I've, I've said this before, like the word confidence, it, it, it appears to be reserved to white men on everybody else. Yep. It's cockiness, it's arrogance, yep. like you're out of line. Yep. So I do, uh, I do appreciate that about her. I think it's kind of like cool to see somebody just own it like she did. And then, you know, she had a couple of losses. Um, she lost to Roxanne Modafferi, and then she lost to Alexa Grasso in a, 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 I think, kind of a close fight with Alexa. Like, yep. it wasn't, like, she was completely outclassed. It was kind of a fight against Alexa, more of a technician, and Macy being more like of a, a power drill or, or or something of that sort like that's just kind of her style and i like this fight in a way because it's like two prospects two young girls like it's it i'm interested to see you know i think it's always intriguing when you put uh put two women kind of like that two two competitors in kind of that same position like the prospect versus prospect fight so on the one hand i am excited uh for that on the other i'm kind of like If Macy loses this one, like it's gonna be really hard for her to bounce back. I don't know if she's gonna get the same goodwill as other people have as just a young fighter who is still, you know, learning and ironing out some kinks uh, up there. She's one of those that we get to see evolve into a complete fighter already in a very high visibility position, which is a very uh, complicated sort of situation for anyone to navigate. Um, so I, you know, I think at first I mentioned as like somebody threw out that idea of the matchup and I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, I like it. I think it makes sense. And I was like, hmm, or, and then, or she wins and you're kind of burning Miranda Maverick. Who is in a? Uh, let me check. A very long winning streak and unbeaten in the UFC still. So. Yeah, she's coming off the win over Jillian Robertson, which was a very, uh, I think, important win for her. Like, just really proved herself against a person who is That's tricky and 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 again a reliable, solid, consistent competitor. To me, this is where uh, Macy stands. Right, the fight against Alexa Grasso was a fight for her to like beat a name. Yeah. And now it's the other way around. 
this is for Miranda to like beat someone people know mm-hmm. and project her. And that's a very tricky situation as a fighter. Like when you realize, oh, they're using me as a stepping stone. Like what happened for me to be used as a stepping stone now? Mm-hmm. Which I think this is what they're doing with Miranda. So if Macy loses this one, like she's in, she's in, she's in trouble. And it's unfortunate, right? Because it's so early for both. Like Miranda is only 24, a baby. I remember being 24, so full of hopes and dreams and aspirations before life beat that out of me. Uh, and then uh, Macy is only 23. So, you know, I, I've, I've, it's, it's one of those. I'm intrigued. That's cool. But I feel like I'll be sad whatever happens. Maybe not Miranda Maverick because she's only two fights into her UFC career. Um, didn't really count on all that hype. She kind of just like really uh, kind of solidified herself with the win over Robertson. So maybe her losing, it's not the end of the world, but Macy losing is a complicated situation. So I'm both, um, Excited and sad <laughs> about this one. Would you say it's a sad, sad, sad situation? Oh, like the song? It's tearing me apart. Uh, yeah, Nesman Led not, not fighting in two years. Uh, coming back from knocking out um, Yana Kunitskaya. Just as legit in the same position as Irene. Just hasn't fought in two years. Like lost against her name. Yeah. Jermaine Durandami. And then knocked out Yana Kunitskaya. So she's like in exactly the same position as Irene Lena. Uh, hasn't fought in two years. Uh, Macy Jason, only one loss. Uh, coming from beating Marion Renault with a good yeah. win streak. So, and we're just talking good opportunity about this, for Chasson here. Yeah, and we're just talking about this division being not great. No, you get, this is a get good you fight a name, in the division. Get you a name. Like, Macy beats uh, Aspen here. Yeah. She's up there. Yeah. She's up there. So, I guess, is there anything else, any other fights in the card that you want to talk uh, about? No, but, like, just next week, uh, watch out for my boy Rafa Garcia. Like, one week from this weekend on the Strickland Hall card. Fighting Chris Gutzumacher, final with a, a full training camp behind them. So, we'll see what the Mexicali-born Rafa Garcia can be can, can do. And you're going to have to tell me what happens, because I'm not going to be able to see the next... Uh, three cards yeah you're gonna have to be subjected to my whatsapp narration if i can even see my phone because who the hell knows it includes a lot of caps locks doing either weightlifting or judo those days okay that sounds exciting i'll be just like all capsing oh my god you won't believe this in the link that's usually how i do my real time so you're gonna be watching the ufc cards instead of watching me call the olympic games absolutely no yeah as much as i would love to see a spanish narration of weightlifting (laughs) in the cursed olympics uh, (laughs) by the way as much as as i would love to do that i think i'll be doing literally anything else it's a natural exciting sport and I make it more exciting I'm just saying I, I I fully believe you I if any of you at home want to check it out in Spanish do this but uh, I will I will not be I have a lot of uh, crime stuff to catch thank up you. on thank you for supporting my, my work <laughs> I will be here supporting you yes thank you you know waiting waiting for you he'll here he'll be asleep Thinking I'll get here you. when you wake up yeah, it'll be like warming up the bed. I'll uh, come home to a warm and empty bed. Do you want more support than that? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I guess we're going to have to settle this offline. For the rest of you, I think that will do it for today's episode. A friendly reminder 
just get fucking vaccinated. <laughs> don't believe me. You don't need to believe me, right? Because I keep saying, like, just don't believe any fucking schmuck that says things on YouTube. And that goes for me, too. Don't believe anything that a fucking schmuck is saying on her podcast. Just do the thing. Do the basic thing that a lot of those people who push misinformation like today, like look it up, see it for yourself, but actually do it. Like actually see the science. Vaccines are awesome. Science is pulling us out of a horrendous situation. Again, they developed a vaccine, several vaccines in record fucking time because science is awesome and people are working around the clock with their giant science brains that I can begin to comprehend to fucking save mankind, to get us back into normal, which is not great. Our lives are not awesome. Being human sucks. Capitalism will destroy us all. I know. I know all of that. But that's all a little bit better when you get to go to a bar with friends and drink beers. When you get to go to the movies. Let's all do that. Get vaccinated. Just, just get vaccinated. It's a collective event. Do it for all of us. And I think that's my, my final message for today. Do you have a thank you or can I do the thank you this week? Oh, you can do the thank you. So thank you, Boo Boo, my husband, my partner, the light of my life for being here today with me. Thank you all at home for listening. Thank you. Who do, who are we thanking today? Katalin Kareko, Hungarian pioneer scientist who developed mRNA vaccination, who was responsible for the way the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine yeah. works, and is the mother of two-time Olympic gold medalist rower, Susan Francia. That's amazing. That's a G. That's 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 if the I've ever seen one. Nerdiest thank you we've ever had on this show, and I love you for it. Thank you. Because that's that's what makes you imagine advancing babe. science so much that you can develop a vaccine in a year and also be the mother of a two-time Olympic gold medal. That's some good genes. Dude, that's that, that lady. Like we have a thing in Mexico where like we wanted when we want to do statues. We ask people to give those their old house keys back. Mm-hmm. Just like you're not using them, like we will melt them and make a statue. Okay. I'm gonna start collecting old house keys to Two. build her a statue. Beautiful, an effort we can all get behind. Please. Thank you, thank you all, thank you. This person whose name I already forgot. Catalin Carico. Yeah, that. Uh, this has been the best camp of my life. See you all next week. <laughs>